Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of From Paper to People, the Family Cookbook. I'm sitting on my front porch again. Today, it's a bit more humid. It's a bit hotter. The breeze is blowing, but it's kind of like, seriously, you want me to blow? Okay. The sky is definitely blue. The trees are green because I'm paying attention to what I'm saying this time. The trees aren't blue. The trees are green. I heard myself last time, and I don't know. I didn't want to cut it. it. It kind of seemed funny to me that I was that stupid, so I just left it in. Anyway, uh, there will be passing noises and things like that, because half the time when we eat in the summer, we eat outside and we enjoy the bugs, the birds, the cars, the occasional lawnmower, whatever it is that's going on outside. So I've got a recipe for you today, and it involves a couple of things. It involves a great story about my mom, and it involves the genealogy of a recipe, some guesswork, and then it involves the story, I guess, of... I don't know, maybe my family, maybe the recipe itself, maybe the two combined. I'm not really sure how you'll see it, but I'm going to put it out there. It is the story of Johnny Mazzetti, or is it Johnny Marzetti? Hmm, we shall see. Nevertheless, I need to preface that this recipe comes from my mom's side of the family. My mom was an awesome cook. She was a really great home cook. She was not educated in terms of taking chef classes of any kind. She was just really good at what she did. And she had a great taste for food so that she could taste ahead of time if you just told her a number of ingredients or if she just looked at a spice rack. She could figure out if I put this, that, and the other thing together, this is what it's going to taste like. She just had that innate ability. The way that some people have a kind of a style sense, being able to look at things and figure out what works, she could do that, but she could do it in her mind with flavors. And she was amazing. And she came from a house that really appreciated food. My mother's mother was a standard, I think, Midwestern cook. She did sort of German and English kinds of things because she was a German and English girl from Omaha, Nebraska. And my grandfather's family, I don't really know much about them in terms of what they were like as people. He was an only child, and he really only ever talked about himself, quite honestly. That's who he was. So um, I'm not very clear on who his parents were. But this story does involve my guesses about them, because that's sort of where I had to go. Now, when you're doing genealogy, sometimes you have to make educated guesses, put them in place, and see what, if anything, pops up. That's part of the process of letting the information come to you. And that's particularly true when you're using a database that learns, and a database that spits out hints like Ancestry. I had to do the same thing here when I was trying to figure out where this recipe came from. It started because in my recipe book, it's called Johnny Mazzetti, and that was my mom's name for it. That was what it was already called in the family and had always been, and I needed to look it up. But I need to explain to you this cookbook. My mom died of ovarian cancer 25 years ago, and before she died, she was never a person who was going to sit you down and say, now when I die, do this, that, and the other thing. She was not about that. 
when she had chemo, she would have chemo and be sick. And then the next day, she would be up and doing whatever she was supposed to be doing. She would be making lists, running errands, taking care of other people, doing all the regular stuff that she would have been doing when she wasn't ill. And she was amazing that way. She didn't have a whole lot of patience for self-pity. I think she was kind of accepting of what it was that was going to happen. And so what she did was amazing to me. At that time, we were all using WordPerfect. It was before Microsoft had taken over the planet, you know. And she, she had me teach her how to create a document and create chapters and do merges and things like that. And she created a cookbook. And this cookbook was full of every single recipe that was kind of an on-demand recipe in the family. And she called it Our Favorite Recipes, December of 1992. And she died in June of 1993. So this was her Christmas present to everybody in the family. And over the years, whenever I came home, say from college, she would say, all right, what do you want me to make you? And it was like, oh, mom, make me fried chicken because she made this really great fried chicken that I will share with you in a future date and garlic mashed potatoes and make the burnt buttercream icing that you make and slap that on a spice cake. And, you know, I had my list of demands. And when my sister came home from college, she had her list of demands, right? There were certain things that my dad always wanted to eat that he really liked. They were foolproof dinners for him. And so she made sure that those things were in there. And when she assembled this cookbook, it was her way of taking care of us. You know, I wouldn't even go so far as to say that it was a goodbye because that would be sort of maudlin and she wasn't. But this is what she did for us. And I think that that was really amazing. So I was looking through it to find things to talk to you guys about. And one of the things that I found was this recipe for Johnny Mazzetti. And when I looked at it, I was like, oh, this is definitely a, a mom recipe and maybe it came from my mother's mother. But, you know, I wonder if it just came from a, a Women's Day kind of recipe in the back of the magazine. You know, like, I, I doubt it has any provenance. And so I Googled it. And boy, was I wrong. There is a whole story that goes with this. There are two names for this recipe. My mom has it as Johnny Mazzetti, M-A-Z-E-T-T-I. But when I Googled that, it came up Johnny Marzetti, M-A-R-Z-E-T-T-I. There was an R in there. And that's because two different people or groups of people take credit for the creation of this recipe. And I was kind of wowed by that. And then there's this ingredient in it called Arturo sauce. And I had to Google that as well. And there's kind of a battle as to where the Arturo sauce comes into it. Either this recipe comes from Columbus, Ohio, straight up, or this recipe comes from the Panama Canal Zone. So, okay, let that settle in for you for just a minute. All right, so here's what I learned. I did a bunch of Googling. I had to do research in order to be able to present you with a casserole, okay? This is what I found out. Sauce Arturo, or Arturo sauce, is now available on Amazon Foods. It's The recipe was bought by P&G Foods, but it was gone for a while. You couldn't actually get it, and people were making the recipe. And if you look on Pinterest, you can actually find a recipe that approximates Arturo sauce, but you can also buy it in flats. It's kind of expensive. It's a tomato sauce that has some special seasonings in it, and it has mushrooms in it, basically. People who buy it on Amazon 
love it. They don't like it. They don't even love it. They love it. They are all over this like white on rice. It is like foodie heaven has exploded in songs of joy about sauce Arturo. And it is really funny. Now, by the same token, there's a Facebook page. And in a 2015 post on the Facebook page for Sauce Arturo, because Sauce Arturo has its own Facebook page, the Facebook page says that it was originated in Fredonia, New York in 1912. That's where the recipe comes from. That it was shipped in flats to Puerto Rico and that it made its way via U.S. workers to the Panama Canal Zone. And so it was traced, this pathway was apparently traced by the person who created this Facebook page, according to manufacturers. The company first that started in Fredonia and then subsequent companies that bought up this company until we get to the current owner of Sauce Arturo. So now... We have to stop with Sauce Arturo, and now we have to go over to the originator of the recipe called Johnny Marzetti, with an R, and that's traceable via Columbus, Ohio. Now, this is according to both Ohio History Central and Wikipedia. So, you know, I at least did a little looking. Here's the deal. A woman named Teresa Marzetti came over from Italy And in 1896, she set up a restaurant called Marzetti's on Woodruff Avenue in Columbus, Ohio. It was really close to the Ohio State University. And by the way, you call it the Ohio State University. You don't just call it Ohio State University. I know that because my mom went there and they get very upset. Okay, just know that. So she set it up very close to the Ohio State University. And so she had a really, you know, easy, big clientele. And one of the things that she did was she created a dish that people gobbled up, especially people who didn't know much about Italian food, because let's face it, it was a bunch of Anglo kids probably who were sort of farm kids or whatever going to the Ohio State University. And she named it for her brother-in-law, Johnny Marzetti. The first restaurant there, it it succeeded and it spread the Marzetti fame. By the 1920s, This dish had become popular across Ohio and across the Midwest. But that's all they say. They don't say how far across the Midwest it spread. So I don't know. Did it get to Indiana? I'm not really sure. Ohio and Indiana border one another. Could be. Did it get to Illinois? I don't know. Illinois is another state over from Indiana. I'm not really sure. Did it make it all the way to Nebraska? I have my doubts, but we shall see. So the first restaurant that Teresa Marzetti opened closed in 1942. But then they opened a second location that was concurrent with the first one. And it had opened in 1919, I guess not right by the university. And it stayed open until Teresa Marzetti died in 1972. So that's kind of cool. And if the name Marzetti sounds familiar to you, Go to your grocery store because those salad dressings, the T. Marzetti company label, that's Teresa. That's her family. And that's that company. I thought that was really super cool. So let's go back to the Panama Canal. (laughs) This jumps around so much. It's really crazy. There are people who lived in the Panama Canal zone during the time of its construction 
who claimed that Johnny Mazzetti, without an R, was their recipe and that they had created it. And they used sauce Arturo as a component of their recipe. Now, I can't imagine that a woman who comes over from Italy really needs to use canned sauce made by somebody in Fredonia, New York, when she's there with all the tomatoes she needs in the middle of Ohio to make her nice casserole. But okay, maybe it could be. My opinion is that somehow somebody who was working in the Panama Canal Zone took that idea or that recipe for Johnny Marzetti down to the Canal Zone, incorporated Salsa Arturo because it was around, and left off the R because they didn't know how to spell or something like that. I don't know. How does this fit into my family? Okay, this is the part that really confuses me. But believe it or not, my family, my extremely Anglo family, has ties to the Panama Canal Zone. And it is on my mother's side of the family. So it could be that it came through my mother's mother's family, but it could also be that it came through my mother's father's family. And this is how. My mother's father's father was career army. He was in the quartermaster corps. And I don't have his military records in front of me. I haven't tried to get them yet, truthfully. I know that he served. And that's the main thing that I need to know. But I do have high school records for my grandfather that show where he lived and when he lived there. And what it shows is that He started out his life in a town called Jeffersonville, Indiana. That was where he was born. He lived there until he was nine. And when he was 11, his dad was stationed in San Antonio. And I know that because there is a school record. And then a year later, his dad moved to Washington, D.C. And he was there through age 14, But then when my grandfather was 15, which is 1921, they moved to Panama. And they were in Panama until my grandfather was 17 years old, which is 1923. And then after they lived in Panama in 1923, they moved in 1924 to, you guessed it, Columbus, Ohio. (laughs) It's so weird. So then I had to look and I had to see, okay, so what exactly was the schedule of activity, American activity in the Panama Canal Zone? When was the Panama Canal built? Because I had to have some kind of a frame of reference. So the Panama Canal was built between the years 1903 and 1914 by the United States with permission of Panama. And there was some contention about it. And it was like a whole military thing. And, you know, Theodore Roosevelt was all about like jumping in on other people's countries and either taking their land or liberating it as as long as we had some rights, basically. You know, it, it was a big manifest destiny kind of deal. And he just lived down the road and he was a redhead, too. So I can complain about him. I, I think that's my right. My great-grandfather was in the Panama Canal Zone in 1921, which was, somebody do the math for me, seven years after the construction was finished. But there was a military presence there for a while after the Panama Canal was completed and was turned over to 
the country of Panama, because as I say, there were military tensions for a while. So now the question becomes, because Sasoturo is a component part of the recipe that my mother grew up with in her household, and because it was called Johnny Mazzetti instead of Johnny Marzetti, I think, don't you, that that recipe came back from the Panama Canal Zone with my mother's father and his parents. Doesn't that make sense? I think that makes sense. Anyway, that's a very long way of getting to what is essentially a pasta and tomato sauce casserole. It's really pretty good, though. And here now, the recipe for Johnny Mazzetti. Makes enough for an army. That's according to my mom. One and a half pounds of ground turkey, one pound of onions, diced, one pound of green peppers, diced, four cloves of garlic, minced. Fry each vegetable separately in some oil and then fry the meat, breaking it up as it browns. Mix all together in a large bowl. Then, two cans tomato soup, one small can tomato sauce, dash of hot sauce, one pound cheddar grated, one small can tomato paste, two cans sauce Arturo, one large can chopped mushrooms, which mom says is optional. Mix with the meat and vegetables. Boil two seven to eight ounce packages of wide noodles with a clove of garlic. Add the cooked noodles to the mixture. Put into casseroles and top with more grated cheddar cheese. Bake one hour in a 350 degree oven. Freeze as well. Okay, so here's the thing. (laughs) This is another reason why I don't think that anybody picked this up in Columbus at the very least and I would say that this was doctored up somewhat in the Midwest or that it was downright originated by American transplants in Panama who were working with the food that they could get. Any self-respecting Italian-born cook who is serving Italian food in an Italian restaurant is not going to put canned tomato soup in her food. She's not going to. It's not going to happen. I mean, are you with me on that? Okay. Also, she's not going to put cheddar in her food. It's not going to happen. There are all these beautiful, beautiful cheeses in the world of Italy and Italian cuisine that she could use. Cheddar, while a lovely cheese that I adore and will eat at the drop of any given hat, is from England and is not a food that I would eat in Italian food. Like, I would not put it on lasagna. I mean, just no. We're just, no, no. The other thing is, you don't use flat noodles in Italian food. You use pappardelle. You don't use flat noodles. You don't use egg noodles. You use pasta. And there are lots of beautiful different kinds of pasta of all different sizes and shapes that you can use. And they're called things that are lovely and descriptive. But you don't use egg noodles. That's not how that works. So this has probably undergone some evolutions. I'm sure that my grandmother subbed in probably the the tomato soup got subbed in at some point because it was something that was easier to find during World War II. Um, she was inventive as a cook 
doing what she could with what she could find when war rationing was on. And because, you know, even when they had to go to the PX, because my grandfather was also career military, she had to work with whatever was available. So there are a lot of different kinds of hands that have been put into this. But I'm still putting my money, if I were a betting woman, I would put my money on my grandfather's parents, particularly my grandfather's mother, Deborah Dorcas Scott Bowers, lassoed this recipe when she was in Panama from some other military wife. And she brought it back up and made it when they were in Columbus and D.C. and all the other places that they were stationed. And she passed it on because it was a favorite of my grandfather's. And my grandmother started making it when my grandparents were married. And that's how it got into my mother's childhood household. There is nothing to disprove this, nothing whatsoever. And no one was hurt in the making of this podcast episode. Therefore, that is what I choose to believe. And if somebody else can disprove it, by all means, send me a message through my contact form. (laughs) But until and unless such a thing happens, that's me. That's what I believe. And this has been Johnny Mazzetti or Johnny Marzetti. And from Paper to People, the family cookbook, you know that if you want to be on here, all you have to do is send me a message. Just go to my website, ancestorsalivegenealogy.com, pop your info into that contact form, and let me know what you'd like to make. I just want to hear from you about an ancestor and that ancestor's recipe and whatever story you have about that ancestor, whether you knew the person or not, whether that person made that recipe for you or with you, just like I'm doing now, we're just going to talk. That's all it is. It's just very chill. But I'd love to have you on the show. And it doesn't matter. You don't have to be rich or famous. I just want you here to tell a story to everybody who's listening. So have a great week. And remember that whatever else you're doing, Don't be a Jeffrey and expect surprises. Mm -hmm.